Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following recording is from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues held on March 26th in New South Wales, Australia. It's called Peace and Love. I invite you to join us for any of our upcoming Zoom sessions, which will start up again in May 2022. I'd like to read a poem by someone named Reverend Sapphire Rose. It's called She Let Go. She let go. She let go without a word or a thought. She let go of the fear. She let go of the judgments. She let go of the confluence of opinions swarming around her head. She let go of the committee of indecision within her, wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry. She just let go. She didn't ask anyone for advice, didn't need a book on how to let go. She didn't search the scriptures. She just let go. She let go of all the memories that held her back, let go of the anxiety that kept her from moving forward. She let go of the planning and calculations about how to do it just right. She didn't promise to let go. She didn't journal about it. She made no public announcement and put no ad in the paper. She just let go. She didn't analyze whether she should let go, didn't call her friends to discuss the matter. She didn't utter one word. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked her or praised her. No one noticed a thing. Like a leaf falling from a tree, she just let go. There was no effort, no struggle. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was what it was. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A small smile came over her face. A light breeze blew through her and the sun and the moon shone forevermore. I know I'm aware that I'm speaking to most of you are in Europe. I'm very aware of that. I'm aware, hyper aware, I would say, of what is going on there uh, on your continent. And I can just imagine because the waves of that tension and of that stress and of that worry are wafting around the, the planet, of course. But you guys are much more uh, close to it. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately, because I've been doing a lot of letting go, not that I've been trying to, but I've just been like a leaf falling from a tree. I've had to let go of a lot of things just in the last few weeks. I've had quite a lot of changes in my life. One of the things I've been thinking about is the disparity between our agency to change something and our desire for something to be different. There's a big disparity between what we can have any control over, what agency, how much agency do we have 
in any given circumstance. Some of them we do have agency, a few, but a lot not. And certainly something as huge as a war, we have very little agency in. So one has to ask oneself in a deep way, of course it's fair enough to feel concern, to feel worry. There might be another layer that is unnecessary, really unnecessary to be suffering. Worry and stress about it and sorrow, those come with, with something as huge as a war. And especially when it's nearby, when, when actually you're seeing the images and you're maybe, and some of you might even be meeting people who are fleeing those circumstances uh, there in Europe. Certainly, there are these natural feelings that would come up, but there are some other ones like rage and fury and hatred a kind of shaking our fist at the sky, all of that kind of stuff about the humans involved. Some of that you certainly can let go because your rage and your fury about any of that isn't going to do anything. The worry and stress you kind of can't help because you're feeling a threat yourselves. You're feeling a threat. You're feeling perhaps a, a feeling of danger. And maybe it's not imminent and let's hope it it, it, it becomes a moot point, and let's hope that happens soon. But in the meantime, you know, sometimes we displace our genuine feelings of just sadness and worry and all those things, stress. We use fury and anger to cover those up. But it turns out fury and anger are very toxic. They're really toxic. And there are very huge divisions in this story, huge, massive, global divisions of how some parts of the world see this play of the board, of the chessboard that the powers are playing. And some people in the world see it from a completely different vantage point. And they have their own narrative. We are not likely, you and me, are not so very likely to be privy to the ultimate truth in this circumstance. And sometimes we end up in, in a kind of false tribal fury that we don't have to take on because we have very little agency and we probably don't know the full story anyway. But the fact that you are, you might be in some kind of, certainly in my lifetime, this seems the most dangerous moment on a global scale. I lived in the, I lived, you know, in the time of uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, as it was known, for those of you who are too young to know what that was. You may have been hearing about it in the news because this is often compared to it, but the Russians were going to put missiles in Cuba. And of course, that's on the doorstep of America. It's very close. And so there was this showdown 
of 13 days, I think it was, of this, what was called the Cuban Missile Crisis until the Russians backed down on this program. <laughs> and during that time, I was just a kid. I was in the fifth grade. We were in these daily drills of an alarm would go off in our school, a screeching alarm would go off. It would go off randomly because we were told that we had to practice and that we might get that alarm at any time. So they didn't actually warn us before the alarm. We were basically every day having the alarm go off, not knowing is this the real one or not. And we were, you know, hiding under our desks. I was sitting next to the radiators in the room and the kids next to the radiators were supposed to be hiding underneath the radiators that were kind of these, they were on the wall. They weren't standing up from the bottom of the floor. They were kind of low fixtures on the wall. And we were hiding under those. And even then, even though I was only in the fifth grade, I thought, this isn't going to do much you know, to protect us. You know, there was a way in which, I, so we, we went through this whole period in this threat. And I have, I mean, I probably remember that more vividly and also the day that we heard at school that Kennedy had been assassinated, then anything else that happened in my entire grade school years, those were two really vivid events. So anyway, that said, that was obviously a very long time ago. And I still remember the feeling of living with that. It was, it was in the air. It was all our, the adults were talking about. It was all over the news every single minute. So I just wanted to say to you all there in Europe, if you can, and obviously you can't force it, but just even have the intentionality to let go of anything extra, because this is stressful enough, hard enough, let go of anything extra. You don't have to be in the actual philosophical or political battle. That's not apathy. It's just simply recognizing you may not know everything about the story. And then just take care of yourselves as you go. Letting go like a leaf falling from a tree. Letting go of what's extra. The backpack of rocks that you don't need. Here in my own little personal story <laughs> since I last saw you guys seven weeks ago. I moved out of my house, sold and moved out of my house. But as the settlement date was coming, I had already emptied, the movers had already taken everything out of the house. It was empty, but I was staying at a little Airbnb temporarily. And we began, it was raining. It's been raining for months here, it seems. And it was really raining nonstop. And we had massive, massive floods. They dr it drowned a nearby city. I mean, right near our, re in our region, you know, the whole place just was underwater and lots of people lost their homes, 2,000 homes lost. And this is not a very heavily populated area. So 2,000 homes and everyone was affected, not just that town that got drowned. Lots of other regions got massively flooded. We lost all communications for about four or five days. We had no internet, no phone, no messages. The, the new owner of my house 
and I weren't able to do the settlement for five extra days beyond what we were supposed to because our lawyers had no internet, so they couldn't do the settlement. I had to let him just move into the empty house because he had nowhere else to be because he had given up where he was staying. And those, those kind of stories were just going on and on and on. Everyone I know was taking in refugees from the floods. During the move, I wrenched my back so badly the worst of my life that I couldn't be in a sitting position. So I was on, on a bed for about 10 days. Um, my friend took care of me, did everything, shopped, cooked, cleaned everything, <laughs> did my laundry. Uh, it just went on and on. Then I got this chest infection, maybe from just laying about without any motion all that time. And now just to top off this story, two days ago, my stepsister called me to say that my mother had gone into the hospital with severe back pain. And it turns out she has metastasized bone cancer and has gone directly into hospice in Florida. And I'm in Australia still. I had, by the way, during this whole process, I had made plans to go to Europe. I canceled everything. I couldn't go because I couldn't sit on a plane and also war had broken out. And now my mother, and it's been a process for me. Just This is just one personal story. There are so many that are far worse. My mother is 91 years old and has had a really good privileged life and she's not psychologically tormented by this. She's been ready a long time. And nevertheless, one lives one's personal life and it has been just a continual surrender of, okay, that that's not happening. Okay, we'll make that change. Okay, that needs to go. Okay, letting the rocks in the backpack fall out as though there's a big hole. And as we can see, as we're witnessing, this is going on the world over. Changes. Big changes are afoot. And somebody was saying to me the other day on the phone, she actually had been volunteering uh, for the flood victims for about 10 days. She was saying um, that she was starting to feel great despair. She'd been kind of a warrior on climate action and she was starting to feel that we're losing this battle. And I said to her, whether we are or not, your work is the same, exactly the same. And that's true for all of us. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, however hard it might be in any given moment or any given historical moment, whether it's personal or your moment on the political world, economic, climate change story. You're just living your life. This is your moment. This is your breath that you're having now. It's still precious. And a lot of what we fret and worry about and obsess about, especially the category of stuff that we have no agency in whatsoever, we might look back if we're so lucky as to be able to look back, we might look back and say, 
That was a lot of unnecessary worry. Things just rolled out as they did without my obsession making any difference. <laughs> so this is what came to say tonight to my dear friends in Europe, um, thinking of, about all of you. And because I feel so close to so many of my friends there in Europe and um, reminding us to be grateful for what is here and not add any extra mental torment. As you were speaking, I was thinking it's mirroring what I'm going through right now mm -hmm. in that um, I have COVID, I can't do anything. And, um, you know, the frustration of that, but also I had a knee operation last week, so I can't have any help and I can't walk. Oh, <laughs> and uh, my closest friend, a closest friend who, he was 101, he had a beautiful life and oh. a really close friend and he passed away kind of in the middle of it. And mm -hmm. I feel, um, and also here in Nuremberg, yeah, we're taking in refugees. We have so many heartbreaking stories, but uh, they are so inspiring because, I mean, Kharkov is a partner city of Nuremberg, is to see that these people, you know, you have to put your attention on what you do have, what you're mm -hmm. thankful for. And, mm -hmm. and that's it. I mean, that is the recipe right now that I'm seeing. I, I can look at yeah, all the things that I can't do right now. Mm -hmm. Or that um, really, they, they're heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But uh, and and I think also when you physically, when you're lying in bed and you got a back, you know, you you were uh, also in that situation as well. Things go through your head, but it's really such. I mean, it's so in your face that mm -hmm. you cannot not go there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean. Uh, blessings have many disguises, mm. but it is really calling on absolutely every smidgen of resource that you have right now. I think for, for all of us, I have a home. I have a roof over my head. I, I'm not in the middle of a flood. My country is not at war. I'm not. But I do see that sometimes I beat myself up and saying, oh, for Christ's sake, just be thankful for what you have. But, you know, mm -hmm. your mind does go there, too. So thank you for offering this to, to us. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm definitely uh, feeling into what you're going through. And frankly, it looks pretty graceful from this vantage point in this moment. And just what you said, you know, that your house is not flooded and your country's not at war. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, those are, <laughs> I mean, we do tend to take for granted. We take so for granted the riches of our lives. Absolutely. I was, I was talking with some the other day and, and, you know, you guys have heard me say this theme that during the whole pandemic, I watched a lot of period piece shows, you know, and I can sometimes tell myself this little fantasy story of, Oh, it would have been fun to live. There's a great series, by the way, right now on HBO called The Gilded Age by Julian Fellows, who, who did Downton Abbey. It's this new series, and it's set in the 1800s among the super elite of that time. And I can sort of tell the story of, oh, it would have been great to live in that graceful time of that time. Every, you know, like People had incredible manners, and it was just this 
you know, heaven world in a way, but they are going through in the show incredible bitter, petty dramas, you know, as humans do. And you think about our times when they looked like more halcyon times than the ones we're in now. But think about, or at least I should speak for myself, during a lot of those times when I was younger, I was fretting about this and that and this and that boyfriend drama and who I get all of it, you know, just some catastrophe was always on the horizon. <laughs> And, um, in my mind. And, you know, what if that's the case now? What if you can just realize it's pretty fabulous to just be quietly in your house, even though right now you have COVID, you're going to get through it. And yes, your friend who probably had a great life passed away, but left the love in your heart and whoever else his life touched in those long years. It, there's just this other frame one can always turn to of, mm. of, yeah, grateful for what's here. Right. And it's someone like you that reminds us that, pinches us and says, wake up, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that 10 days, so uh, that was quite a retreat uh, on the bed because I also had to lay flat and I tend to sleep on my sides. So I'd go to sleep and if I rolled over, it would wake me up because it was so painful. So I'd have to, so I wasn't getting great sleep even though I was laying flat on my back. And what was interesting was that I was just in a very deep, like I was in deep space because I was forced into surrender. My whole body had to surrender and it gave me such an appreciation for people who live with that kind of pain. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. It's, it, it, you know, it's extraordinary to experience it. But like that amount of, it brings you into sort of perfect mindfulness. Like you just have to be attentive in a clear space. And you can't be telling big stories of resistance and poor me and all of that. Because that'll just really drive your mind crazy along with the pain of the body. And so it was, I, I, I was sort of high <laughs> from it. <laughs> Catherine, I'm just admiring your ability to just, to continue to, to give when so much is being asked of you. So thank you for sharing again with us. Well, it was something I really wanted to myself. I wanted to have I wanted to have a Dharma session with my gang. Did your house get flooded? No, no. It was a. Um, I mean, guilty is not a productive feeling, and I guess it's not really guilt. But there's that phrase, survivor guilt, and I. Mm -hmm. I, I it's not a particularly useful thing, I guess, but certainly something that I've that I've felt. I get this kind of sheepishness about. <laughs> my good fortune. I went over Obviously to the lake. I went over to the lake yesterday for the first time. Uh, I went and saw uh, that the lake has has grown uh, substantially. <laughs> <laughs> covered covered it's, the road, covered the path and the road, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it, it's remarkable, and it was really interesting as well. Just around that time, we had a lot of the the local Aboriginal people for for many of you, our local area. Obviously, there's a terrible history of dispossession of the local Aboriginals here as there were in 
across the country and obviously they were given a lot of the very marginal land um, for their settlements and um, so they were some of the, the worst to be flooded, particularly Cabbage Tree Island and obviously parts of, you know, South Lismore. And so we had a lot of the local Koori mob here jumping in the lake and the kids, the, the lake became very much a focus. Obviously very distressing, the, um, the floods and the sense of being such a privileged Westerner and these and never having seen such wide-scale trauma and destruction, they sort of become abstract ideas on, on the news and which I yeah. tend to avoid. Well, national and international news, I certainly devour local news. But these abstract ideas that then when you're really confronted with them, although still matters of degree removed because I'm still just in my bubble here in Lennox, but obviously people that I care deeply for and um, having lost everything and seeing just the, the sheer carnage in Lismore when I went to, to help and in the, uh, in the evacuation centres and things and the, the sort of the, the helplessness, the fragility. I mean, a lot of these things that we were talking about when we met a year ago, it was a year ago almost to the day that we met Catherine at that talk. At that climate action workshop, a resilient exactly. workshop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The fragility of our, of all of our systems. We feel like we're masters of our own destiny with all of yeah. these shiny things and bells and whistles. And it just, it was just flicked away. It was just yes. like a fly. Just oh, poof. I know. <laughs> I, I have so many friends who are displaced, who've lost their homes. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the, yeah. The fragility of our systems. Monty, one of his friends from school, her parents are both police officers. They were obviously helping up in Mullum, they were based in, in Byron. They had no comms for three days. They were yeah. on the Telstra network. <laughs> they had no mobile phones. But our, our, our fundamental sort of systems of control right. and support yeah. were just brushed, just brushed away yes. three days. I know yeah. it really It really was a wake-up call as to how much we're relying, how much everything is connected. Like in our region, you probably know, a lot of the shops and the gas station refused to take credit cards because they had no way to run them through because they had no comms. Mm. So mm. you had to pay cash and people quickly ran out of cash. Mm. They, cash was just like, you know, gold bars. And I mean, there were so many knock-on effects, even for people who weren't directly affected by the floods the whole region was affected, you know. Like mm. I said, we were out of comms for five days and we were literally in the middle of a house settlement during that time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You couldn't write it, Catherine. You could <laughs> not write it. <laughs> so, but, um, um, yeah. but again, what you said about survivor guilt, for me what was happening, though, was I felt so, I just felt so lucky that... Mm. I mean, I was watching what was happening because I was hearing it on the uh, pineapple grapevine, you know, <laughs> hearing about all the other terrible things that were, were happening for friends and all I could think of was, mm. what can I do to help? Mm. Mm. But, um, look, obviously a couple of things I want to riff on. The run on the cash machines um, and the empty supermarket shelves starts 
to make us think of things like Lord of the Flies and ideas of there being a thin veneer of civilization. I heard a fascinating Dutchman Mm. called Rutger Brugman talking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on a podcast. And these ideas, let's just call them Lord of the Flies ideas, yeah. Um, they are very much part of the neoliberal, and I, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but the economic machine is built on the idea of the rational individual acting in his or her own interest, and that's how it all it all just ticks along. Yeah. This this is a self-serving idea for the economic machine. Neoliberal it becomes such a spiky tricky, loaded term, but just the economic Mm -hmm. machine to be out there consuming and buying and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't have to politicise it with those sorts of phrases. It's just that. And this fellow, fascinating. So the reason for me just mentioning this is Rutger Brugman, he wrote a book about two or three years ago. It's called Humankind. And I I could not have heard this fellow at a more apt time because it was very much a flip side, though. Of course, there was this, these, these glimmers of the run on the cash machines and the, and the empty supermarket shelves. But, of course, there's been this outpouring of, oh. of community, you know, and that actually proves exactly what Rutger Brugman is talking about. And this idea yeah. Yeah. Of, of, the, of the selfish individual is just absolutely bankrupt. And it, it's, it's something that's become, look, I might be, I'm probably preaching to the converted here, but something that I think we should be really aware of. And I get these fears of, of you know, pig head on a stick, Lord of the Flies kind of scenario, zombie apocalypse. Okay. We probably all absolutely sing from that hymn sheet, but he talks about the insidiousness of this, this idea. Um, this I think that's something we should, be, we should be really aware of, especially when some of this stuff is really bearing down on us emotionally and we might be feeling particularly afraid and even afraid of our fellow neighbour, you know, but it's just not that I, way. I love that you brought this up. I failed to even mention this part, which was at the same time all these floods, you know, the, the flood story was unfolding and then the subsequent loss of homes and even loss of life and all the animals that died in the floods and all of that was been so tragic but you're so right the community here just stepped up in fact a lot of the um centers had to stop people from leaving things because they just couldn't handle any more furniture and toiletries and clothing and shoes and blankets and tents Mm. everything um (laughs) they were overwhelmed they and there were so many volunteers someone who's on the call with us tonight spent many many hours you know volunteer lots of my friends just extraordinarily I was laid up in my bed much of the time and I was doing what I could just sending some clothing and stuff that I had with me and fortunately I just packed up my house or I could have given a lot of things away but it was all in storage but I mean I just think that the impulse for everyone who had anything to give was so strong you know that so I love that and and I will uh, look up that podcast it's 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 a very it's just a brief sort of half an hour, 45 minute discussion with him. It's not a, not a huge deep dive. It's, it's, a love, it's there in the title, isn't it? You know, we do forget mm. that. And mm. um, yeah, that's the other thing was despite the circumstance that we were in with the floods, I never felt scared about the people. 
I felt like we were all in this together. There was incredible feeling of camaraderie and this shared huge experience that was happening. And so I say to all of you who, you know, are there in Europe, keep that in mind too. And as you're seeing the story of the refugees pouring into Europe, the welcoming that they're getting, and also from here as well, I think there's a yearning in us to have an outlet for our love. Mm. And, you know, (laughs) and that sometimes it takes a crisis for it to be okay to just let that go. Yeah, you get a license to let it just pour out. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Knocking on a neighbor's door and saying, Can I, Are you, you know, okay? just a stranger's yeah. door, can I, can I clean out your basement for you? <laughs> would be rather yes. unusual at other times. Exactly. Yeah. Or just, yeah. you know, just hug one of your close friends, who's, as in my case, yeah. Uh, yeah. one of my best friends lost her, her home. Her family lost their home, a rental home. They have no insurance. Two of their cars mm-hmm. also got drowned. They literally had to wade out in, almost waist deep water with, they had kayaks, but they weren't in the kayaks. They just piled their stuff on the kayaks Mm. and walked out Mm. for, I think, two miles or something like that through all of this muck Mm. and horrible water. I mean, the water was toxic. Dead horses and dead things and sewage and everything. Barbed wire fences that tangled you up. Yeah, every single thing. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and and just just to hug her, and, mm. you know, just to hug her and say, oh, my God, you know, just those moments that where we, like you said, you get a license to <laughs> say those things. Mm. Great to see you, dear. I've been thinking about you. Yes, how lovely. Day. How lovely. I jumped. <laughs> I jumped at the chance. And just just quickly, though, Catherine, your opening remarks again, just thank you just little nuggets to carry forward. And that idea of, I was talking with my mum the other day, this kind of, this feeling that, this obligation to have an opinion about things, yes. to be informed and to have an opinion and to... Pick a side. To, yeah. 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 Oh, it's such a burden, yeah. such a burden. And mm-hmm. that, and you were saying something about just, yeah, I might not have the whole idea, so you know what, I'll just, I'll just let it go and I'm mm-hmm. going to... Yeah. So look, yeah. that's that's enough from yeah. me. But I just thought that that's just something that we need to, I think, remind ourselves of. Yeah. The burden Absolutely. of having to have an opinion. Yes, and to pick a side, to have to to mm. be on a yeah. side. It's exhausting. Mm. Oh, Catherine, thank you so much for holding this today and for mm-hmm. sharing everything that you've been through. It's it's very poignant. And I was thinking of what you said about love, that there's a yearning in us to want to give love. And, you know, being in situations like this where you can't visit your mum because you're ill yourself. Yeah. And so you have this kind of pull to do it and then you're prevented from doing it. I, I'm... I'm glad that you're sharing how you're dealing with it and the letting go. That mm. poem was amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm. print it out after this and, and have a look <laughs> at it again. It reminded me again of a story that I've probably told before, but um, Paolo Coelho's book, The Fifth Mountain, where he, the central character, 
had to leave his home. He was exiled because he believed in one God and uh, Jezebel at the time, it was a historical thing, believed in, in multiple gods. So she chucked him out. So he had to leave his homeland, his friends, family. And the whole story was about him trying to keep in the, in the present moment with all this stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on a, an exaggerated scale, he went to the desert for 40, 40 days or whatever to, to try and battle it out in his mind. Always then, 40 days in those desert stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's always 40 days, tussling with the, the psychological torment of it all. And then as he went on through his travels, he faced more and more adversity. And again, it was just how to how to remain in that sort of calm, still place and how to maintain love when everything's taken away. Yeah. yeah. So that was what came to mind when you were talking. That's those those kinds of circumstances, whether mythological or or we see them in real living color, are so incredibly inspiring because I think most of us live with a deep rooted fear that there could be a breaking point for us. And we don't, we're usually not tested, but we, we fear that there, and, and there probably is at some extreme point, a breaking point, but you know, that where, where your mind just can't, can't handle whatever the torment is. But for most of us, I dare say, and maybe all of us uh, on this call, we may not ever get tested to that limit but sometimes one feels like you're coming up to it, you know, and then you find new reserves, you know, but there may come a point I will allow in my own case, in terms of imagining things whereby I could see my spirit being broken. I think they would be extreme, but I, I don't know. I feel that my go-to by habit is to let go. You know, that is my my go-to move, but there could come a point where I, my mind breaks or it just is just too hard. I mean, I'm talking about like extreme things like torture or ALS. Do you call it ALS in, yeah. in the UK? Those kinds of circumstances one might legitimately fear and think that I may not be able to handle that. But who knows, you know, in, when you're in the moment, I've certainly seen some documentaries of people with ALS who were just, just mind-blowingly inspiring. I mean, just incredible. However, let me get back to the main point I was making about this. It is, if there is, I think, a habit of noticing that you've got a toggle switch in your mind, that you can either go down a certain track of hysterical fear and resistance and, you know, all the negative mind states, or you can switch it into present awareness and just be dealing exactly with this particular moment of pain or of fear or of stress or whatever, but just really in a kind of clean, clear, simple awareness that, that when that habit is strong, it it becomes your your ally through a lot of very stressful things. So one of the things I notice 
when I just heard my mother was going to be dying soon, I noticed it when my brother died. He died suddenly, so I only heard after he died. Is that my mind doesn't fight the fact of it. Like it doesn't resist the fact of it. It has sadness. It has like this purity of sadness. But it doesn't say, oh, it shouldn't have happened. Oh, no, that's happening. Oh, no, that can't happen. That shouldn't have happened. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel that 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 can apply to the floods and with all my own personal things and the pain and the Mac thing. And I had to cancel everything, couldn't get on. You know, I had to basically change all the plans I had made to come to Europe. In the midst of all of this having no comms, I also had to do a very complicated, in addition to also the settling of the house, I also had to do this very complicated, huge cancellation project of canceling all the travel plans, all the flights, all the plans with friends who were going to pick me up in Athens, um, had made their own arrangements to be in Athens. They didn't live in Athens. They lived hours away. It just went on and on. Friends in Sydney who were going to be putting me up before my international flight. Uh, all these things had to be undone. And I just watched myself go through it. You know, as though I was watching a, a personal assistant doing it. Except there was me. <laughs> I was the personal assistant. <laughs> but it was just sort of this, like I was just watching the process happen, roll out with really no resistance. Because it was had to, it, there was no option. I had no agency to change any of it. Right, I couldn't make it not be what it was. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that there's a a reliance on that kind of habit that might say in response to a fear that arises about something that could happen or that might even seemingly with good chance happen. Okay, well, I'll rely on this habit at that moment. Like, I don't even have to have the plan in advance. I'll rely on the habit, and it, we'll see how well it holds. But I will, that's, that's my sanctuary. And it's interesting because it sounds like you didn't have that habit before you started this journey. You know, your, as a, your, as old, a younger, your old oh. self. Oh, yeah, long ago. No, not at all. No, no, no. I, yeah, I was kind of a firebrand about the world needed to be changed. <laughs> and um, back in the long ago time, you know, I came of age in the 60s. I was born in the 50s, but I came into more of coming of age in terms of feeling myself part of the adult world more in the later 60s. And and then going all through the 70s, which what people often describe as the 60s really was more represented in the early 70s, believe it or not. A lot of people don't understand that. But anyway, like the real sort of peace and love movement, it began in the 60s, but it, it was really in full flower more in the early and mid 70s. And so we lived in that time of thinking we were changing the world and that 
all it's going to take is everyone's going to realize this is way better. <laughs> Peace and love is like really a lot better than what you guys have been doing. But that didn't really catch on like we had hoped. <laughs> and, um, and, and a lot of us in that time moved quickly into Dharma. We, we moved into Dharma perspectives and practices because we began to see, yeah, this is, this is a tough world. And it's going to, it's reverting back to that toughness. So we were going through the Vietnam War and the Cold War and, and just skirmishes and tensions and the rise of consumerism and that being the new God. The whole, the eighties really represented that greed is good, you know? And so as a, a long time ago, hippie, and as a, you know, a Dharma student, that was terrible. And, you know, we were working as hard as we could. I, I quickly got into the whole activist scene. And as a journalist, that was my focus. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hang out with people who were all about, let's change this, let's get this changed. And we've got to fight the battle of the, the elites and the corporate greed and the war machine and all of those things. We're going to have to battle it. <laughs> And I, I have great respect for how many people stayed in that righteous battle, like not, like on the field in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, like Arjuna stuck there in that battle. And I still feel that about those people. But for myself, metaphorically, I'm waving a white flag of surrender, not apathy. But I, I see everything in a different way now. I see that my own calm and my own capacity for kindness or love is going to have to be good enough in terms of what I can offer. Mm. And I don't have any expectation that it is going to change anything or, you know, move the needle at all um, well with, I think it has a reverberating effect it does have a reverberating effect and I also yeah. am aware of how in my own life how those those people have been my rock and my steady yeah I, I think once you find the dharma there's in a sense there's no other way yes so I find myself going down rabbit holes and when I listen to you I, I'm always learning so recently uh, I've been in a 30-year business and I'm finally going to let go of this oh. because it's become difficult during COVID. And I have a partner who has not so good health and the kind of the stress and the running of it all and um, just the difficulties. I decided to let go, but I, it was interesting. I decided with not too much thought <laughs> over a period of time and then I'd go back into it again no we are yes we are no we're not yes we are it's been going on for ages but finally a decision was made and it's it's like you are talking about it's like I'm watching the decision and it's just yeah. yes. well, there's no choice but I'm just kind of yeah <laughs> doing it and without analyzing it because I, I don't yeah. know quite what I'm gonna do probably you know something else that gives love in a different form. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm just interested in your process of just getting on and 
doing it, taking taking action and, and dealing with, even in a situation when you can't take the action, but right. still being in the process of the giving giving up. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. The letting go just is happening kind of on its own as well. Yeah. And what I wanted to say was that I go sat down so many rabbit holes. Oh, what about this? And you know, and my mind and when I hear you, it's kind of just more and more I trust just what's happening. Yay. That's it. So that you're just not fighting with what's happening. You know, yeah. that is really a losing battle. <laughs> Nice to see you. <laughs> oh, nice to see you both. Lovely. I love your, your picture of you two doing the tango. It's, <laughs> it's very tiny. That's what I'm assuming. Is it that? Wait, oh, no. a, wait a minute. Yeah. It's like that. Oh, yes. There. Oh, is that ever great? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, we, we are with our hearts with you and all this catastrophes and uh, experience you have to make. And, um, well, we had you know, a hard time, too, in a way. We are sitting here both ill with COVID oh. <laughs> for the second time. Uh, the for first the was, time. I think, two years ago or something. Uh-huh. Uh, first time we weren't vaccinated because that was yet uh, wasn't there. And now we are totally vaccinated and still we <laughs> got it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, well... When you talk about your mother, I, I have a, a mother and a father. My mother is 93 and my father mm-hmm. was 94. And um, a couple of weeks ago, my mother came to hospital and she was very, very ill. And the um, doctor said, okay, she only has to live for hours, maybe one day. Mm. And my brother and my sister came and we visited her and she was really seemed to be dying and we gave her some food and everything. And my father was going to her for two times a day, something like that. And slowly it was like a wonder. My mother became a little better and better. And in the, in this situation, my father um, had a bleeding in the mm. brain mm. And then there was a situation that he came in the same hospital and really feeling bad. And uh, then he was laying in the same room. But my mother, she's in a a dementia. uh, Was she already in dementia before she went in? Yeah, yeah, she was before. And she didn't realize uh, that that her husband, they are married more than 70 years. Mm. She didn't realize. And maybe there was some some other things that she didn't didn't want to realize it. It was a strange situation. And then my mom recovered and she could leave the hospital. And and my the situation of my father really became bad, worse. And and uh, last week he died. Mm. And I'm the situation for me was that getting old is uh, you have to let go most when you get old oh, of all, yeah. most of all. In the end, he was a very strong man, very, very strong and tough man. And 
and he was destroyed, yeah, like <laughs> because of his age and his illness. You you have no chance then. Before right. in the years you had to let go. Yeah, he he was yes. riding mountain bike like he was he was eighty five. Then he stopped to riding mountain bike wow. so a long time. And then he had to let go, let go, let go, let go. And in the end, he was just destroyed. And um, I'm, I had to prepare an exhibition and uh, make some objects for this exhibition. And all this experience came in, into this work a little bit. And I tried to go to the hospital and then go to my art studio and... Um, I'm, I'm very happy that I was there the last days holding his hand because when I, when I was a kid, he didn't want to uh, hold my hand because, yeah. because it's okay. not like a man does, oh. yeah, something like that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and now, two days before I died, he, he didn't want to uh, leave my hand. Oh, that's very dear. Because he was afraid, maybe. Yes. Yes. And um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be there. And then one one day before he died, I was there, and he was more peaceful. And mm -hmm. then in the morning, Thursday last week, I got a call from from the hospital that he died, and we went there right away. And it was very um, important to sit there just for a longer time with his dead father. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was peace then in, in this room. And uh, for me, it's uh, very important that I, I could experience it because we couldn't go to the funeral because we had COVID. So we sure. yeah. Yeah. And uh, I prepared it with my sister and my brother, but I couldn't go there. Yeah. Well, so we have this personal situation and uh, of course we see this Ukraine, this, this uh, situation in the Ukraine, but we, we are living in this feeling, like you tell, we can't do anything about it. And we don't want to get poisoned because we drink always the situation out of the media. Yes, yes. And we don't want to put one point, we don't know the whole truth. Of course, we have in mind, for me, it's one of the most terrible things, war. Yes. Just, you know, not take it like, take a side or something, just war for me is something of a, it's, yeah. it's just pure madness. Yes. For me, it always was. And uh, yeah. But it's, it's not about putting a, a certain point in this. So we just try to be here and right now. The last weeks, the weather, the weather was very nice. And we're just staying, just trying to stay here. Mm. And mm. Yes. Yeah. And right now you're, you're in a healing process and um, it's, gives you permission to just hang about and yes. <laughs> be simple and, and eat good food and, and uh, yes. get some fresh air if you can. and Good, good and maybe bad food. Where sometimes we just put a pizza <laughs> in the oven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Such an 
important experience to to see that you have when you're getting old you are everything you have to let go yeah and well, one, one of the things that i'm i'm enjoying in a sense if, if enjoying is the right word is that all of the littler letting letting goes that i experience and there are a lot of them I think of it as sort of practice, you know, like, because there's going to be a really big one <laughs> right at the end. It's a really big one to go from being to not being. I can't think of any other, it seems self-evident, but there's really no greater transition of anything to anything. You follow that? It may be too sort of simplistic to make any sense but like in any kind of if you think of any kind of transition of anything to anything else to go from being to not being that transition is a huge one <laughs> and, and not that you're going to experience not being but just even the idea of it the idea of going from being which is all we've known yes to not being. So I, I look at all of the letting goes as a kind of preparation, as a kind of practice. Mm. And even like laying in the bed in pain, mm. I, I allowed it to be okay, this might be, this could get worse in an older age or some other accident, or whatever. So, you know, I want to go back to what you said about your father. For people who have had no practice in a way, who've kind of galloped along in life, and assumed vibrant health and strength and lots of options. A lot of those people suffer a lot in older age because their whole identity has been so fixed on being that strong man or woman. And in addition, they have had perhaps no real practice in full surrender. Mm even in moments where they might have been deterred from the path they were on or had some kind of obstacle. Perhaps many of those types of people always thought, I can overcome this, I can overcome everything, but they actually can't overcome everything. I had a friend, he was a wonderful, great person, but he'd lived a very privileged life of a real can-do life, real just seize the bull by the horns and wrestle it down and incredibly financially successful businesses, traveled the world, many, he was constantly traveling. It's a long story about his life, but later in life, a whole series of huge events. He lost his beloved wife who died, even though she was much younger than he, she died of cancer quickly, like got it and died within two years or so. And their dog died right around that time. His best friend of 50 years died. His son had a stroke. And then he himself was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And Parkinson's, of course, is debilitating. So he began to lose his mobility. And he, he fell into a deep, deep depression that lasted until his death. It got worse and worse. And I really saw that in a living example of someone who, though he had been very interested in Dharma and had hung around Dharma circles, that's how I met him, it hadn't penetrated that this is a rough place. I mean, the first noble truth of the Buddha is the truth of suffering, you know? 
And that had not really landed in him until it began to happen to him personally. It was like he was in a kind of shock. He was like surprised by this happening. And yeah, I, I feel that part of the Dharma depth of understanding is that we're not very surprised when these things happen. <laughs> you know, we're not yeah, very, very surprised. And that, and that is a kind of resilience. So I think depression was a problem in the like, last years for my father too. Yeah. It was very hard for him to accept this situation. Yeah. And from, for me to accept things, to accept things happening in life is that I'm uh, more and more as older I get, I, I realize I'm not the doing. Yes. And this, yes. And this yeah. helps a lot because uh, in the world of my father and most of people, they are the doing ones. They, I yeah. have to do this and I have to better than, be better than him and with her or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. And when you realize things happen, it's, it's a lot more easier to, to accept them because I can't do anyway, I can't do about it. Then. Right. I know, I know, I can barely keep, keep up with my little tiny yes. <laughs> and even then I have to let go of a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time.